going to be continuing our series, Freedom for the Community. Freedom for the Community. And, and if I'm honest with you, um, some of you will get this, some of you will not. But I, I thought about uh, starting off with a, a Nipsey Hustle song this morning. And then I th- thought about, thank you for the smile. I thought about starting out with a, a DJ Khaled song this morning. And then I realized like I probably shouldn't play those in church. If you've never heard the songs, please don't Google them. You will judge your pastor um, hard. Um, if you do know those songs, don't judge your pastor, all right? But, but I'm not, I'm not going to play those. I, I want to I talk about keys to the city, though. Keys to the city. What, what does it look like? Last week, we were in Luke chapter 4, and, and this passage looked at Jesus' first sermon. Remember, we talked about it. He stood up, he unrolled the scroll, and he began reading from Isaiah chapter 58. And last week, I preached Locke and key that it's Matthew 25 and it's Matthew 28. It's about taking care of people, but it's about making disciples as well. And when we just try to feed someone and not tell them about Jesus, all we're doing is sending people to hell on a full stomach. And when we just try to tell people about Jesus and not meet their needs, we're actually trying to do something that Jesus never did. It's both and. It's Matthew chapter 25 and Matthew chapter 28. So what I wanted to do was to go back to the chapter in Isaiah that Jesus was reading from. And I wanted to get some more insight. So today, again, we're going to preach keys to the city. I'm a firm believer that God has given us keys to our area. He's given us dominion over our area. He said, hey, if you're going to be a church, then go out and expand my kingdom. I'll give you keys to Davidson. I'll give you keys to Mooresville. I'll give you keys to Cornelius and, and Huntersville. And why, why stop there? I'll give you keys to Denver. I'll give you keys to Statesville. It's not so that we can grow our church. It's so that we can expand the kingdom. So, so where do we start? I, I think we have to start by recognizing that God wants to give us keys. And then we have to look at the origination of, of what history says giving keys to the city really means. So I did, a, I did some scholarly research. I don't know if y'all, y'all heard uh, about these websites, but I did some scholarly research. Um, there's this thing called Google.com. And, uh, and I, thank you for like the subtle laugh. Like that's something you can... Remember, I'm going to say this every stinking week. We are a church that talks back. All right, so y'all can talk, y'all can talk back to me. So, so Google.com, and I started, looking up, well, I started looking up keys to the city, and, and what I found was fascinating. I, I, I read about some hierarchical systems. I read about the purpose to the keys of the city and, and how it originated, and I'm going to get to that here in a little bit. But let's go back to Isaiah chapter 58. But what I want you to do is remember keys to the city. We'll talk about how it originated and what it means. Keys to the city, Isaiah Chapter 58, one scholar writes this, the root problem in Isaiah chapter 58 is people who observe spiritual disciplines for selfish reasons, to gain God's blessing while ignoring the hunger, poverty, homelessness, and nakedness nakedness of those in need. So so the problem with Isaiah chapter 58 is is people are saying, God, why aren't you helping me? I'm doing everything that you've called me to do. I'm praying, I'm fasting, I'm following you. But they're only doing that so that they can gain something from God. I'll do this if you bless me. The author continued to write, The root solution is true devotion to God, which grows naturally out of a love for God. People who love God will worship Him for the sake of honoring God rather than manipulating. I'm going to worship God to follow God, not to try to manipulate God. And if we love God, we will also love those whom God loves, being our neighbors. 
that love for God and neighbor will be manifested by taking concrete steps to care for those in need. So what are we dealing with in, in this scripture? What, what are we dealing with? We're really dealing with true worship versus false worship. We're really dealing with somebody that truly wants to follow God and serve people opposed to someone who just wants to follow God to obtain some type of blessing from God. So let's take a look at the scripture, Isaiah chapter 58, starting in verse 1. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud, don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near to me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed with me? We have been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice. I'll tell you why I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. See, even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. No, this, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. And remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. And give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. I'm going to read that one for some people in the room. Don't hide from relatives. <laughs> Y'all like, Pastor, for real? <laughs> I've been hiding from Aunt Martha for, <laughs> for 10 years because I don't want to deal with what she's got going on. Miss Martha, I just realized that you're probably here. I'm not talking about you. If, if y'all know Miss Martha, got to come up with a different name. Verse 8, then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. He will quickly rep reply, remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. I mean, let me, let me translate that for you. Last week, we talked about this lock and key. And we talked about the idea of individuals creating a key club. You've got to look like me. You've got to talk like me. You've got to sound like me. You've got to believe what I believe. You've got to follow the direction that I follow. And as long as you can follow that manuscript, then we, then we can be friends. Then we can be in the same community. And that's what, that's what these Israelites did. That They decided that, that we're going to tell everyone how they need to look, how they need to dress, how they need to act. And if they don't fit in our box, then we're going to cast them out. If they don't fit in how we want them to act, then we're not going to take care of them. In doing so, they tried to create blessing for themselves. They tried just to create a better life for themselves. And then they had the audacity to ask, God, why aren't you blessing us? God, you see what I'm doing. I'm praying. I'm fasting. But you're not taking care of me. See, when we cease to engage in our calling and purpose, we lock people out from the presence of God. When we create clubs, what we do is we lock someone out from experiencing who God is. And the world says something like this. You're just as messed up as we are. Y'all heard it before. Nah. Zach, I don't, I don't go to church because I know how church people are. 
I don't go to church because I've been burned by the church before. I don't go to church because I've had a bad experience. And we've all, we've all heard that. And when I started reading this scripture, two things happened. One, it excited me. And two, it made me a little nervous. On the one hand, this, these verses tell me how I'm supposed to act. On the one hand, these verses tell me how to follow God, how to honor God, and how to take care of people. And then on the other hand, it reminds me that God's going to question my actions. That God's going to take a deep dive into why I do what I do. So, so what if I had to ask myself this question? What if I asked myself, what would I do if God truly examined my life? If God truly examined why I do what I do, what would the results be? If God truly examined your life, what would the results actually be? Would he say something like this? Would he say something like, the only reason you follow me is to get blessing? Would he say something along the lines of, the only reason you show up to church is to make yourself feel good? Would he say something along the lines of the only reason you pray is so that when the prayers aren't answered the way that you want them to be answered, you have someone to blame. See, sometimes we pray because we treat God like our scapegoat. Sometimes we pray because if he doesn't show up when and where and how we want him to, then he's the problem, not not us. Like, whoa, (laughs) easy pastor. Like, can we go back to talk about Matthew 25 and 12? Can we just take care of people? Like, I don't want God examining me. Like, I, just want, I just want to take care, I just want to take care of people. The problem is, the problem is we start having this quid pro quo faith. I'll do something from, for God as long as He does something for me. I'll serve God, I'll honor God, I'll give to God as long as those things are coming back to me. So my question back to you is, is it really even faith? Is it really even a relationship with God or is it just some transaction to make you feel good about yourself? We've, we've tapped into this transactional faith. I'll do something for God as long as he takes care of me. I'll do something for others as long as I receive a blessing. This past summer, we were able to go to the Outer Banks with, with the Hudson family and and we visited um, Kerala Island and, and took, a, took a look at the lighthouse there. And, and man, I, lo- I love going to lighthouses. I love learning history more than anything. So when I travel, I'm like the weirdo that'll like stand at the plaque that's been there for 100 years that nobody's ever read. And I'll just kind of like read it to see, to see what it says. And, and most of us know what lighthouses are for, right? Like lighthouses were to inform individuals that land was near. If you're out at sea, if you're on a boat, land's near. Subsequently, reminding people that danger was near. And and that was the purpose of the lighthouse. Well, centuries ago, with lighthouses came life-saving services, and it answered the most basic of human questions. Who will help in our hour of greatest need? Who will help in our hour of greatest need? And these rescue organizations were established for those that were in trouble at sea, for those who were in peril at sea. And it was considered one of the greatest humanitarian achievements of mankind. And this is the why. It's not just because of the what, it's because of the who. Because there was a plethora of people that were involved. Centuries ago, from from emperors to kings and queens, 
presidents and educators, physicians, ship owners, social workers, clergy, author, business leaders, scientists. They were all involved. It was a community affair. Everyone was involved. They were all involved in supporting, founding, and operating these life-saving services. And then rescue organizations were founded like Houses of Refuge. And when a house of refuge was established near the sea, there was a year-round housekeeper who would take care of individuals who were shipwrecked and made their way to, to, to land. So their ship goes down, they run aground, and, and all of a sudden there's individuals who were washed up on shore and this housekeeper would take care of them. They called them houses of refuge. They would give them food. They would give them shelter. They would give them warmth. They, they would give them security. They would give them provisions. But this is what inevitably happened. Not everyone made it to land. There were individuals who were still stuck at sea. So the community rallied together and said, what, what can we do? And then the surfmen were founded. And surfmen were individuals who, when there was a shipwreck, when people were washed up on land, they were the ones that got in the boats, regardless of the weather, and made their way to the shipwreck to snatch people out of the water. To snatch people from death. The problem is, we see illustrations of houses of refuge, and we see illustrations of surfmen and women, but we still can't make the connection. Yes, they needed them then, but the reality of it is, we still need them now. So the question I have back to you is, who will help in our hour of greatest need? We need churches to become houses of refuge. We need surf men and women who will step into society and snatch people out from death. See, I think sometimes what churches can do, and guilty as a pastor, what pastors can do, is we can make some analogies sometimes, right? And we can kind of connect some analogies, but sometimes we just need to be raw, and we need to be candid, and I need to tell you the what. Can I give you some what's just for a second? One of the hardest things that I've ever had to do in my life. I, I, I will never forget this moment. I remember my mom calling me, and, and she was in a rough situation. Um, she was at a, this hotel, motel kind of place, and, and, and if I can be raw with you this morning, it was just drug infested. And I remember driving up to this space and getting out of my car and walking in a room that was as filthy as filthy could be and just didn't want to sit down anywhere and grabbing my mom and bringing her outside and putting her in a car to take her to another location, snatching her from the grips of death. I remember conversations with my dad when he was strung out on drugs. And I remember the altercations and the fights that we used to get in. And I remember looking at him as clear as day and say, if you're not going to fix it for yourself, then fix it for me. If you're not going to fix your life for yourself, then fix it for Katie. If you're not going to fix your life for yourself, then fix it for Mama and Papa, his parents. I remember having those hard conversations to snatch someone from the enemy. To snatch someone from drugs that, that had them so gripped that they didn't know left from right. They didn't know what day of the week it was. And the reality of it is they just needed someone to step into their situation and say, not anymore. Not on my watch. I've sat with people who were, committing, or were trying to commit suicide. And they've turned their life around. I've sat with people whose spouse has left them. And now their marriages are, are being put back together. 
Why do I tell you this? I'm not saying, look at Zach Witt, look at what I do. I'm telling you that the church can't stop doing what we're called to do. The church can't stop going in our community and just grabbing people. You know the situations. I don't know every situation. I know the circle that I run in. I know the challenges of, of people that, that I run in. And it's my goal and my job and my divine calling that when I hear someone hurting, I meet the need. When, when I hear someone that's in trouble, then I snatch them from the trouble. I do what, whatever's necessary. I, I've told you this before. We'll do anything short of sin. Jenna's like, I don't know if you can say this. I'm going to say it again. Uh, we're going to do anything short of sin to keep people from going to hell. We're going to do whatever we have to do. I said, babe, uh, like what shouldn't we do? What shouldn't we do if, uh, if someone needs help? And she kind of like started thinking about it a little bit. She goes, I don't, I don't know. Like maybe we shouldn't just walk in a club and grab. Why not? If, so, if someone's hurting, if someone is in need and they shoot you that text and you got to go get, it, go get their butt. Like, listen, go get someone who's in need. Stop sitting by idle. Get in the game. Start helping people. See, again, sometimes we get too philosophical. And as a church, it's time for us to get practical. Sometimes I can give you some flowery language and give you a good story and talk about houses of refuge and talk about surfmen and this is what happened centuries ago. The reality of it is it still has to happen now. We just have different modes of transportation. But this is what I know. We can never take care of others and we can never truly have the keys to the city until we take an internal look at ourselves. So we can't take the keys to the city if number one, if you're taking notes, write this down, if we're living only for yourself. Verse 3 says, I tell you why, I responded. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. Do you follow Jesus to serve others or to create this false sense of self-preservation? Number two, we can never have the keys to the city if we're fighting and quarreling. Verse 4, what good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere. Church, what good is it to come in here and sit in here on a Sunday morning and then go argue with someone on Monday on Facebook? Now, now here, here's the problem. Some of us are getting a little bold. We've moved from Facebook complaining and we've started quarreling and gossiping and tearing people down actually in public. And what good is that? We have to remember that we're on the same team. Number three, we'll never get the keys to the kingdom or the keys to the city if we're pointing our finger and spreading vicious rumors. Verse nine, stop pointing your fingers and spreading vicious rumors. My points aren't creative. It's just scripture. One of the hardest things in our society for individuals to do is for grown-ups to be grown-ups. For some reason, adults have forgotten how to have hard conversations with other adults. All we do is we listen so that we can respond opposed to listening so that we can hear. We listen so that we can have a rebuttal. We listen so that we can have a comeback. We listen so that, so that we can disprove their point and prove our point. We don't listen so that we can learn from one another. We've seen it in society. You see it in our political system all the time. I want to argue. I want to argue. Who's right? I don't know. We're just all arguing. God hasn't called us to argue and to quarrel and to point fingers. God has called us to do much more than that. We can never have the keys to the city if we're not unlocking the bondage of 
the city. The blessing is for those who use their keys to unlock the bondage of the city. Verse 6. Now this is the kind of fasting I want. For those who are wrongly in prison, lighten the burdens for those who work for you. Let the oppressed free. Share your food. Give shelter. Give clothes. Don't hide from your relatives. And then, and then salvation will come like the dawn of the morning. See, when we get the keys to the city, this is how we should respond. And this isn't Zach's opinion. This isn't some analogy. This isn't something to make you feel good. This is straight from Scripture. Number one, treat employees with kindness and blessing. Number two, free those who are wrongly imprisoned. When we hear someone saying half-truths, be bold and tell them that you don't want to hear it. When you hear someone gossiping, tell them you don't want to hear it. Because if you listen to it, it imprisons everyone in the conversation. It imprisons you, it imprisons them, and it imprisons the person that they're talking about. If they're telling half-truths, just tell them you don't want to hear it. Be an adult. Have an adult conversation. Number three, remove the chains that bind people. Say, all right, Pastor, how do I do that? I think that some of us just aren't using our testimony to the fullest. Some of us aren't using our story to free other people. Why do I talk about my mom? Why do I talk about my dad? I talk about my mom because she's now been clean for over a year. I talk about my dad because he's in heaven. And, and I mean, clap all, like, that's great, clap. But this is what I know. When I talk about those situations, I don't get the praise. Jesus gets the praise. When I talk about those situations, then someone else has the opportunity to step into a relationship with Jesus, maybe for the very first time time. Number four, share your food with the hungry. Five, give shelter to the homeless. Six, give clothes to those who need them. Listen, I I told y'all we're not going to just talk about this stuff. We're going to be about this stuff and not just in some language or what we do, even in the construct of our church. So what do I mean? As we're building our building, we decided to put a shared commercial, commercial kitchen inside the facility. Why? Because there are people in our community who need food. If we have a kitchen, we can make some dang food and we can take it to them. We have an area that's an outreach center. Why? Because when we hear of needs, we can go meet those needs. We'll have the facilities and the people to actually do what we're called to do. In Concord today, we're opening up the Cabarrus Dream Center. We're feeding hungry through the Cornerfield Market. We're helping the homeless get off the streets. We're giving clothes to those in need. This is what we're doing as a family of churches. This is who we are. It's who God has called us to be. Now, I know there's a lot of individuals in this room who have a desire to serve. I know there's a lot of people in this room because you've told me. You messed up. You told me. You told me what you wanted to do. You told me what God was telling you to do. You told me what you felt in your heart of hearts. And now it's time to move past the, 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 the desire and move to the action. So whatever's in your heart, you have to move past the desire and move to the action. So if you have an idea to serve the community, call me. Dadgummit, email. Send me a carrier pigeon. I don't care what you do, but tell me what you want to do and we'll make it happen. Say, Pastor, isn't it, isn't that like backwards? Isn't the church supposed to make some announcement about where we're supposed to serve and, and the church is supposed to tell me where to go? No. No, let me, let me squash any type of thought process of the church being the person or the entity that needs to reach the community. Zach, are you being a heretic? No, no absolutely not. And I'll tell, I'll tell you why. We have, to, we have to reread 
the scripture. Because when we reread the scripture, we realize who God is actually talking to. He's actually talking to the individual. And the construct of the, these sentences and the construct of these verses, there's an understood you. So let me, let me explain. Let me read it back to you. No, this is the kind of fasting I want. You, you free those who are wrongly imprisoned. You lighten the burden of those who work for you. You let the oppressed free. And you remove the chains that bind people. You share your food for the hungry. And you give shelter to the homeless. You give clothes to those who need them. And you do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then what? Then your salvation will come quickly like the dawn. And your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward. And the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. And then you call and the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. You remove the heavy yoke of oppression. And you stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. And you feed the hungry. And you help those in trouble. See, God has given us each a key to the city. The question is, are we actually using it? God has given each of us the responsibility to reach our community. The question is, are we actually using the keys to the city? Again, when I researched the keys to the city and I typed it in Google, I typed in history of keys to the city. And what popped up was freedom of the city. So the keys to the city were really a declaration of freedom for the city. So if you had the keys to the city, then you could release freedom for the city. And the first one when I was doing some research was this, from serfdom to freedom. Now serfdom just meant that individuals in medieval times, that when land was owned and there was a debt that had to be paid, an individual had to be married to the land or had to stay on and work the land for their freedom. They had to work the land to pay off their debt. If the land was sold, then, then the people that lived on the land, they were sold with it. But if they got the keys to the city, then it signified that they were a free person and no longer had any ties to the land. No longer had any ties to the debt. Their debt had been paid. That was signified by having keys to the city. And, and the second one, having keys to the city was a sign of military victory. See, the enemy, the enemy says just stay in your churches. The, the enemy says you just stay in your little group of people, but the city, the city is mine. Zach, what are you saying? The devil is saying, hey, y'all hang out in y'all's church, but, but don't talk about this Jesus nonsense outside the door. Hey, y'all talk about this Jesus stuff inside the church. Like, I've probably already lost all of y'all, but y'all can talk about the Jesus stuff inside the church. The devil says, hey, don't play that worship music outside, outside too loud because I don't want the people next door to hear it. Hey, y'all hey, don't act like you're having too much fun because I don't want somebody to look up from having breakfast going, hey, we need to, we need to check that out one Sunday. Hey, y'all keep that nonsense inside the church. If your friends are hurting, don't talk about the power of Jesus. Let, let them just hurt on their own. Don't take it outside the church. 
because if you take it outside, they might make fun of you. If you take it outside, they might question you. If you take it outside, they're going to rally against you. And what the enemy wants to do is say, hey, I'm going to discourage you as much as I can because I don't want you to take the freedom of the city to the city. You've got the freedom. You, You own the keys. I get it. You're in church. The enemy says, you got it. Just don't take it to anybody else. Having keys to the city also signified entitlement to civil privileges. Entitlement to protection. Entitlement to accesses of of resources. So if you had the keys to the city, that signified that you're protected here. If you had the keys to the city, it signified that you had the right to trade, that you had the right to own property, that you had the right to be part of what was going on. Signified that you were free. My question that I want to ask you this morning is what key do you need in your life? What key in your life seems absolutely crazy? Because if I continue to read scripture, verse 12 says this. You will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Church, we got some work to do. You will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. How many broken homes are in our community? How many broken families are in our community? How many broken people are in our community? Now that we have the keys, we're called to heal people. Let me give you a give you another example. Pod, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. I feel like we talk about this every every few months. But man, um, when Jenna and I moved here, we used to live in Uptown. We lived in South End. And I remember driving to Davidson every stinking day. And I, like, I, I hated the drive. <laughs> like getting on 77, I was coming up here and all the work traffic and, and all that nonsense. And what I started doing was I started driving around just, just praying driving around just looking looking to where we could plant roots and we pulled I pulled in a community I was by myself I pulled in a community and, and in the community all that was there was the roads no houses like the pipes started sticking out of the ground like they did all the plumbing and stuff you could tell where the lots were going to be but but there were no houses and I was as I was driving through the community I just stopped and I started praying I was like God I just feel like I feel like we're supposed to live here if you've called me to pastor here I want to live here care where it is you just show me where I'll I'll live in a cardboard box just show me show me where to live so kept praying and then eventually a sound a sign went up and it said houses starting in the mid 300s I'm like well I'm not living there like like I'm a pastor planting a church can't afford it like you know what I'm saying not not doing that God where's the cardboard box And and then I learned of this program called the Davidson Housing Coalition I filled out the form I got excited. I was like, hey, maybe we can get a house. Well, Jenna, Jenna was like researching houses where we could live. And, and one popped up and it was a part of the Davidson Housing Coalition. Um, and so I called the lady and I said, hey, you know, we, can we apply for it? She said, well, that house is available, but we're also building 15 brand new houses if you're interested in, in those. And I'm like, well, as long as they're not $300,000, then yes, I'm interested, right? So then I went to the coffee shop. And I'll never, I'll never forget the story. But I went to the coffee shop and I saw Paul. I was like, Paul, I need somebody to go pray with me. Like, will you just, will you go pray with me? Sure, what are we praying about? A house? All right. <laughs> so so we, we're like following the directions. We're making our way to the neighborhood. And, and all that was there were slabs. It was just, there were a, a few slabs. There might have been some structures up at the top of the street that were being built. Like maybe they had um, some, some um, structures up or some framing up. 
But the house that we were looking at was just a slab. And then, and then there were three or four other lots that they weren't even, even graded yet. It was just mud. It was just dirt. Man, me and Paul, we started walking through the, uh, walking around the slab. And we started praying like the house was ours. And we started praying like, like God was going to give us the house. And we started praying like we were going to throw parties. And we started praying like we were going to move into the community. And we started praying like we were going to see individuals' lives change in our home. And then, and then we got a little crazy. I said, Paul, I feel like we should go pray for a house for you. Why aren't we just praying for us? Let's go pray for a house for you. So we started walking around some dirt. It was like that Jericho march. It was like, we really didn't know what to pray, but we're just going mean, to pray. So we started praying. Not only, not only did we get the keys to a house, three doors down, Paul and Nicole got the keys to the house. And, and not, not only did they get the keys to the house, but our new neighbors are Ryan and Kelly, and they got the keys to the house. Now, here, here's, like y'all can clap, but don't clap yet, because here's the deal. Not, not only did they get the keys to the house, they've started serving in our middle school ministry, and now every single Wednesday, there's a group of middle schoolers that go to their house and learn about Jesus. When God gives you keys to something, he's saying, take over. When God gives you keys to something, he's saying, move in. So who's not moving in? Who's not moving in? You need keys to something, but you're scared to move in. You got keys, but you're scared to move in. It was crazy for us to ask for keys, Sam. It was crazy for us to pray for some keys. We got them. It was crazy for us to pray for a theater for people to be able to move into so that we could start a church. It was crazy for us to start praying for some land to build a building. It's crazy for us to say, God, we'll do whatever you want us to do. Who's willing to take freedom to the city?